Last week, in the latter half of Romans chapter 5, we talked about the nature of hamartia, sin, the original tragic flaw of mankind. Today, even before we begin, I want to go a little bit further. In fact, I want to start with some hamartiology, uh, some study of the way we understand and interact with sin, because otherwise, I think we'll misunderstand or miss the point of what Paul will be saying in this chapter. Two images for your consideration. First off, I want you to think of a line, a straight line, almost like a taut tug-of-war rope where at the center is a point at which the whole thing finds balance. The line is straight, left to right, and on the one hand is sin, and on the other hand is the righteousness of God. The center point is you, your life. I would say that the moment the tug-of-war starts, where the center point is bouncing back and forth between sin and God's righteousness, is most Christians' incorrect perspective on the nature of life and sin. They perceive themselves to be jostled back and forth. This day, better. Tomorrow, not so much. And their sense of their salvation is as mixed as their seeming experience of that taut, battling line. Do you understand the continuum image I'm trying to paint there? Well, on the other hand, Two lines. One is infinitely elevated. The other is lying in the dust on the ground. The heavenly one is the heavenly one. This is Jesus' righteousness. The other one is the former nature of sin, hamartia. These two lines never touch, have no relation vis-a-vis the other, There is no continuum, no connection between their lifestyles and fruits. In fact, the idea that they could directly correlate tends to undercut the meaning of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and reign of Jesus upon the throne of heaven. We're talking about two totally unconnected states of being. We're talking about the difference demonstrably between death and life. All right, do you have those two different paradigms kind of arranged in front of your mind's eye? All right, let's begin. Romans chapter 6. Now, what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? And you see, that is classic tug-of-war continuum thinking. Think about it this way. Well, if I dabble in a little sin, kind of lurch over to the side, well, I'll kind of be pulling the grace of God right with me, sort of extending his range, if you will. Friends, such tit-for-tat theology, really homartiology, should embarrass us. That is literally not how any of this works. And in fact, I like how Paul reacts to his own rhetorical question there. He goes on. What a ghastly thought. We who have died to sin. That's the key word there. Died to sin. How could we live in sin a moment longer? 
Well, in reality, we can't. We can't live anymore in sin. But somehow we've gotten our signals crossed. We're busy sowing patches of newness to our old coat, trying to pour new wine into old wineskins. Again, we're playing at the old tug-of-war. And then we're silly enough to wonder at the useless coat, uh, to scratch our heads at the puddle of wine on the ground, all while we're what I would call one-lining, not two-lining. So Paul has a few important reminders for us. I'm going to continue. Have you forgotten that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were, by that very action, sharing in his death? The death of Jesus, by proximity to Jesus, by relationship with Jesus, is meant to make your old self die. Your old self, with its DNA descended spiritually from the family line of Adam, needs to die. Did you know that? Your true life is only to be found on the other side of the cross, both in and with Jesus. Let's continue on. We were dead and buried with him in baptism. Which, friends, if you're still bristling at what I just said about your old self, admittedly makes it sound worse. Your old self hasn't just needed to be dead. It is required to be buried utterly effaced. I think we modern Christians have a perception that a pseudo-zombie spiritual existence is acceptable, somewhat dead and somewhat alive. We cling to former elements of our old self, thinking them meaningful and thus redeemable, when in reality, Jesus is trying to do something entirely new. In fact, put that zombie Christianity to the test. Do you actually want to have to keep on wedding the brokennesses of your past into a a stunted, fruitless, pseudo-Christian rest of your life? Hasn't trying to figure this all out on your own absolutely exhausted you? It has me. So wouldn't it profit us to let go of our Adam-allied selves from before, bury them in the ground, and see what's actually on offer here? Seriously, I'm really asking you what you think. And actually now, listen to what he thinks. This is so good. So that just as he was raised from the dead by that splendid revelation of the Father's power, so we too might rise to life on a new plane altogether. Now there's the two lines reality, two separate planes of existence, one earthbound, the other heavenly. Which means it's time to make clear what's happened here. Listen, at the creation of Adam, there was only one line. Adam was not only made in the image of God, he shared in the perfect perfection of God. Then he fell. The sin line was born. Every man, woman, and child now lived in sin down in the dirt. Then generations came, generations went, time passed until in the timing of God, this is so crazy, so be ready for it, God was born, bringing the heavenly line to earth. Imagine that. 
For 33 years, the heavenly and sinful lines ran sort of in tandem. God walked around perfect amidst his broken creation. Until dying to set us free from the line of sin, ending the tyranny of sin and death, he rose and raised us. The heavenly line came to earth so that the earthly line might be ended and so that men and women of earth might rise with him. Isn't that absolutely just so wondrously extraordinary? Okay, listen to this next line. I'm obviously getting excited here. Here we go. If we have, as it were, shared his death, let us rise and live our new lives with him. My friends, let me mention a few things verse 5, the verse I just read, doesn't say. It doesn't say, if we have, as it were, shared his death, let us manage our sin and try to approximate a reasonably good Christian life. It doesn't say, if we have, as it were, shared his death, Let us spend the bulk of our fellowship with brothers and sisters in the process we've come to call accountability. It also doesn't say, if we have, as it were, shared his death, let us never properly appropriate the realities of his blood, his death, his resurrection. Let's keep on keeping on in religiosity that purports to have something to do with him. Let me read it again. If we have, as it were, shared his death, Let us rise and live our new lives with him. Full stop. Friends, our daily choice is not between good and evil, sin and righteousness. That's one line, tree of the knowledge of good and evil thinking. Our choice is between this earth, this life, or his. Too many modern Christians seem to sample daily from the tree, yes, of the knowledge of good and evil like the Pharisees used to do, rather than to eat from the tree of life. Listen closely. You may choose to enter further into the deathless life of Jesus every day, and your battle is no longer with sin. Jesus already won that battle. There's no push and pull like there used to be between sin and life within you. My friends, let him raise your eyes. Let him raise your whole day-to-day experience. Because again, I want you to listen as Paul continues to hammer home these truths. Listen, I'm moving into verse six. Let us never forget that our old selves died with him on the cross. There it is again. Old selves died with him on the cross, that the tyranny of sin over us might be broken. And by the way, the Greek of verse six is much more visual and really explicit. Listen, this is the Greek kind of my translation of it. Knowing this, that our old self, our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be annulled or left without employment, useless, abolished, separated from, or made of no effect, 
that we no longer are enslaved. That was present tense, not aorist or future to sin. We no longer are enslaved to sin. Again, that word is hamartia. I mean, consider the visual. There was an old you, an old man or woman, an old self that was enslaved to sin and that was nailed to the cross along with the perfect Jesus. His death did the death for its death. You're saying yes to Jesus, said yes to an already accomplished fact. And then that old you, old man, old self's old sinful body was cast to the side, into the dust, useless, separate, and made of no effect upon your new, new self. That is the starkness with which you are to understand the personal atonement and frankly, the warfare for the purpose of emancipation of Jesus. And then Paul, I would say, dips into the absurd to carry his point. Listen, for a dead man can safely be said to be immune to the power of sin. Or in other words, we're not accustomed to doing accountability at a funeral with the guy who's in the casket. Can we get that into our heads? Let me continue again. And if we were dead men with him, we can believe that we shall also be men newly alive with him. And friends, this is the moment when Paul's imagery gets really glorious. At the moment when you said yes to Jesus, ending again, don't forget, your past enslavement, dying with him, watching your old self get left in the dust, you were simultaneously entering a moment when you woke up in the complete dark. And then suddenly, a blinding light was entering the space around you, a burial tomb, and you realized that you hadn't been alone in there. For there he is, Jesus He is carefully folding the burial cloths and setting them down upon the stone slab and then beckoning you out past the angels at the mouth of the tomb. He is smiling over his shoulder to lead you into this new day, this every new day of the resurrection, his resurrection and yours. Let me read that again. If we were dead men with him, we can believe that we shall also be men newly alive with him. The resurrection has never stopped happening. Your experience of your every day is meant to be that walk back out with him every single day. I'll continue reading. We can be sure that the risen Christ never dies again. Death's power to touch him is finished. He died because of sin once. He lives for God forever. Again, the resurrection is perpetual. The newness of the new life does nothing by halves. In fact, by the Holy Spirit, it redoubles and redoubles. I mean, the life of Jesus living within us is an exponential matter. It's my opinion 
that the finished work of Jesus, his life, death, and life after death, only seems to be stunted by one thing. Our inability, or our hesitancy, or our doubt masquerading as rationalism, that won't allow us to simply believe and receive. Friends, you were dead, now you may be alive. And sometimes, seriously, we argue for still dead. I mean, isn't that just sort of preposterous? I'll read on. In the same way, look upon yourselves as dead to the appeal and power of sin, but alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Which actually is where we're going to end today and where I want to haunt your mind with one last thought. Did you just hear that we're supposed to live and believe ourselves to be, quote, dead to the appeal and power of sin? Did you hear that? Okay. But how will we prove that? Live that? Well, by being, quote, alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus by, you guessed it, actually hearing and receiving the call of God through Jesus. Friends, experiential, first-hand intimacy with Jesus of Nazareth is both our proof of and experience of our being dead to sin and alive to the new life of God. Daily pursuit of him is daily progress towards him. And such progress, it yields proof. That's proof of his life. And by the way, it's the proof of his new life living within us. Let me reread and close out with verse 11. In the same way, look upon yourselves as dead to the appeal and power of sin, but alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks so much for listening.